teaching natural lifestyle cooking. Together, they've been involved in Christian ministry for over 40 years, preaching and teaching and offering spiritual growth workshops, conducting over 100 evangelistic series. And those sermons that Mark Finley has preached have been translated into over 50 languages. Elder Finley has also authored numerous publications. Today, Pastor Mark and Tini continue their ministry at the Living Hope School of Evangelism Training Center in Haymarket, Virginia. Elder Finley, bless us. Father in heaven, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon Elder Finley as he speaks, that your words would be heard and that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to hear your words to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tini and I are really absolutely delighted to be with you. We actually, Gary, you know, time goes by so quickly. We have been in ministry. This year we're celebrating 57 years in ministry. But it's been so good to us that it only looks like we've been in it 40 years. We, you know, there's one good thing about getting a little older and being in ministry for 57 years. I'm 77 years old, and the wonderful thing about this is when I walk through these campgrounds, this is the first time that I have been here at Masoka Pines. We've spoken at the Carolina Camp Meeting on numerous occasions. But so many of the pastors here either have been our students when we were teaching for Andrews in Chicago, and, uh, or they have been with us in evangelistic meetings, with us in field schools, or so many of you today I've seen that we have baptized in one of our evangelistic meetings, or somebody came up to me when I left the cafeteria today and said, you know, we've been watching your YouTube ministry, and we were uh, so impressed that we became Seventh-day Adventists. So it's a wonderful thing when you look back over your life and you see what God has done in the lives of people as a result of your ministry. And I think that's the great joy of ministry. It is what God does through the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people who you minister to. The series that I'm going to share with you is, uh, I've entitled it, Revived by the Spirit. There are five messages. Tonight we're going to be looking at the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does he work in our lives? Then we're going to be taking a look as well at the promised revival that God promises will come from last day church. Then we'll look at the urgency of revival. Then we need to spend at least one session on true and false revivals because both the Bible and the writings of Ellen White predict that there will be false revivals that sweep through Adventism and the Christian community. How do you detect true and false revivals? And then our last presentation will be revival and a finished work, the Holy Spirit's outpouring to finish God's work on earth. It's my prayer as we look at the Holy Spirit that this will be more than something that we learn facts for our head, but that we'll be led, each one of us, to a deep, meaningful relationship with God. Tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and revival. I was giving a series of meetings on the Holy Spirit, and right after one of the presentations, a man came up to me with a very troubled look on his face. 
And he said, Pastor, do you have a little bit of time to talk? And I said, sure. I said, what would you like to talk about? He said, you know, you, you made a presentation on the Holy Spirit, but I have some questions. And he kind of was a little hesitant to talk, and he kind of circled around and circled around and went this way and that way in the discussion. You've probably met people like that. And so finally I said, well, well, come right to the point, my brother. Tell me what your concern is. He said, here's what my concern is. He said, is the Holy Spirit a power flowing from God as some sort of impersonal influence, or is the Holy Spirit a divine person? Is the Holy Spirit just kind of this impersonal force, or is the Holy Spirit actually the third person of the Godhead? Is the, if the Holy Spirit is merely an influence or a power, we're going to try to use that power, that influence. And what you believe about the nature of the Holy Spirit is going to make all the difference in your spiritual life. Dr. Bill Bright, who was the former president of the Campus Crusade for Christ, who became a friend. I remember one time, Tini and I were visiting Bill and Bonnet. Bill Bright was a great man of faith, a great man of God, not a Seventh-day Adventist, but the president of the Campus Crusade for Christ uh, around the world. Bill would fast every uh, July. He would usually just drink uh, grape juice or some juice and fast, and he would pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the campuses of America, the campuses of the world. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said, ne nearly 95% of the respondents, that's in a survey that Campus Crusade for Christ took, nearly 95% of the respondents have indicated that they have little knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is or why he exists, 95% on that survey. A.W. Tozer, a great revivalist, put it this way, the idea of the Spirit held by the average church member is so vague that it's nearly non-existent. That makes a real big difference. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? How can we be filled with the Spirit? Bill Bright went on to say, I'm personally convinced that if today's Christians better understood the Bible's basic teaching about the Holy Spirit and then invited him to release his power in their lives each day, they would experience unprecedented joy and personal fulfillment. I have become personally convinced as I have traveled the world and stood on the great platforms of the world that if local Seventh-day Adventists understood who the Holy Spirit was, they were filled with the power of the Spirit, that churches would come alive, that we would experience in our own lives a new sense of relationship with Christ, because the Holy Spirit comes to bring witness to Christ, and our lives would be transformed, that many of the attitudes that we have, maybe of criticism, gossip, lust, anger, bitterness, many of the attitudes that some Christians struggle with, that we would see victories in Christ that would be remarkable, and that if indeed the Holy Spirit filled our lives, we would make an impact in our communities like the New Testament Christian Church did. Bill Bright went on to say, more than that, more than what? More than joy and personal fulfillment. More than that, our verbal and nonverbal witness for Christ would sweep the world. Do you agree tonight that if indeed we were filled with the Holy Spirit, and if the fullness of the Spirit was moving through our lives, 
that our churches would make a difference? Do you think it would make a difference? Do you think churches would come alive if there were prayer groups praying for the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit actually came down and filled our lives and transformed us? Ellen White in the book Gospel Workers in the 1882 edition, page 370, says this. She says, it is the Spirit of God that quickens the faculties of the soul to appreciate heavenly things and attracts affections toward God and his truth. So what is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit quickens the lifeless faculties of the soul. Another word for quickens is makes alive. So the Holy Spirit gives spiritual life to us. It draws us out to appreciate heavenly things. It leads us from the affections that we have on the world to place them on Jesus. Now, would you like to experience unprecedented intimacy with God? Would you like to receive Christ's supernatural power in your own life to live a victorious Christian life? Would you like to have victory over some attitudes or habits that you may have struggled with for years? Would you like to be a powerful witness for Christ in the world? The answer is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Understanding who the Holy Spirit is and receiving him into your life is the key to a fulfilled Christian life. So we begin by raising the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We go back to the questions that man asked me. Is the Holy Spirit a person like God, like Jesus, or is indeed the Holy Spirit simply a force? Let's look at the biblical evidence that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Now, one human mistake that's often made is we often equate divine personality with visibility. We say, yes, when we're in heaven one day, the Bible says, Revelation 22, we will see the face of God. Yes, uh, we'll see Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit? We equate often divine personality with visibility. But thinking of the Holy Spirit as a force has two major problems. First, it is a human attempt to explain divine reality. It's, it's a human attempt to try to, to put God in a box. And, uh, you know, you don't have to understand everything about something to appreciate the something you don't know everything about. Now, let me illustrate that. Do you grow any corn here in the Carolinas? Any, any corn? Do we grow any corn here? All right. So let's suppose here's a cornologist. He is a PhD in cornology. He studied cornology at the famous Duke or North Carolina or Wake Forest or one of these great Carolina universities. He has written a 532-page doctoral dissertation on sweet corn. He knows everything about the fourth row down and the 13 kernel over. He's absolutely brilliant. He can tell you all the vitamins, all the minerals. He can tell you all the antioxidants, all the phytochemicals. He can tell you every single thing about that ear of sweet corn and more than you even want to know. Now let's suppose that this PhD in cornology, let's suppose his wife cooks him an ear of sweet corn. You still with me, everybody? Now let's suppose that here's a poor guy who's never been to school 
up in the back hills of North Carolina, South Carolina. He's never read this guy's dissertation. He knows nothing about sweet corn, but his wife cooks him an ear of sweet corn. Who's going to get the most vitamins and minerals out of the sweet corn? They get the same, right? It illustrates the point. You don't need to know everything about something to appreciate the something you don't know everything about. When we enter into a subject of the Holy Spirit, it is a divine subject that is infinite in its understanding. But if something is infinite, it doesn't mean you can't know anything about it. It means you won't know everything about it. And if something is infinite, it means the more you study it, the gonna be more beautiful it's going to become. It's like a multifaceted diamond that you hold in your hands. And you see the refracting light. And you turn it one way and you see its beauty. And you turn it another way and you see its beauty. So the subject of the Holy Spirit is an infinite subject that's incredibly deep, but the more we study it, the more we are able to comprehend the nature of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the more our lives then desire to be filled with the Spirit. We live in a world where seeing is believing, but yet when we study the Holy Spirit, we're studying about the third person of the Godhead that we do not see. We also live in a world that says if you cannot touch it, if it's not material, if you can't quantify it, the idea is that it doesn't exist. But that's just human thinking. That's pure humanism. But when we look at the teachings of Scripture, and the teachings of Scripture are accepted by faith, we see the largeness, the bigness of this idea of the Godhead, the Divine Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So any attempt to, to to marginalize, to minimize the Holy Spirit is a human attempt to explain divine reality that really is going to fall short. Second problem is it's contrary to the Bible. Any, this idea that the Holy Spirit is a force, the Holy Spirit is an influence, that it's just kind of the represent, it's kind of a vague, shadowy influence, it's contrary to Scripture. Now let me show you that. Here are three, and we could read many, but here are three extremely plain New Testament passages describing the divinity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's the third person of the Godhead. Here's first, Matthew 28, verse 18. Can you read it together with me? Let's read it together. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have a name? Yes. Is there any distinction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this passage? Does it say the Father is a divine person, the Son is a divine person, but the Holy Spirit isn't? No, you, you have the three of them listed together very, very clearly. Here's another one, Ephesians 2, verse 18. Through him, that is through Christ, we have access to one by one spirit unto the Father. Same, you have the Godhead listed, you have Christ in that verse. You have the Spirit in that verse. You have the Father in that verse. In Hebrews 10, verse 9 through 13, it talks about the Father wills, the Son works, the Holy Spirit witnesses. So throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is always mentioned as a divine personage. If you look at the Gospel of John, more than 25 times in John 14, 15, and 16, 
those three great passages on the Holy Spirit. It says, when He is come, and we'll study about that a little bit more later, when He is come, always third person identifying the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. In Scripture, you can grieve the Spirit. In Scripture, the Spirit guides you. In, in Scripture, the Spirit teaches you. All attributes of personality. Romans 8, the, scripture the Spirit pleads for you. Can an influence plead? Can you grieve an influence? Not at all. So the Holy Spirit is not some vague influence, but it is the divine third person of the Godhead. Throughout Scripture, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cooperate to accomplish heaven's purposes in the plan of redemption. Let's think about it. You go back to creation. We read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what does it say? God created. What? Heaven and earth. But in Ephesians 3 verse 9, it says that all things were created by Jesus Christ. And in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In creation, Father is the divine planner. Christ carries out those plans by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in cooperation. We find this true as well at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized. The Father speaks from heaven, says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But yet, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If I ask you this question, who was it that raised Jesus from the dead? Well, in one place in the New Testament, it says the Father raised him up. Another place it says Jesus said, I lay down my life and what? I take it up again. He said the divinity within him. But another place in Romans 8, it says that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. So what does that mean? It means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit participated in the resurrection of Christ. What about the ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary? The Father loves us. Jesus is there empowering us through the Holy Spirit. I love the way it's put in 2 Corinthians, and you're looking at that there in chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So you have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing from heaven's sanctuary. You have God's love that motivates that grace to redeem us. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit leading us into communion, this intimate relationship with God. It is through the Holy Spirit that we enter into an intimate relationship with God. So it's the Holy Spirit that draws our affections toward God. It's the Holy Spirit that places within our hearts the desire to know God. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin in our life. But it's the Holy Spirit that ministers to us as we open the Word of God. And as God's Word is opened, the Spirit comes to warm our hearts. The Spirit comes to encourage our souls. The Spirit comes to enlighten our minds. The Spirit comes to illuminate our understanding. It is the Holy Spirit that's drawing us out of ourselves, witnessing of Jesus Christ, the living Christ. The Holy Spirit is just as real, just as much a divine person, just as much a member of the Godhead as the Father, the Son, are members of that Godhead. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. 
I like the way Leroy Froome put it, the great Adventist scholar. He wrote the volumes, The Prophetic Face of Our Fathers. If you don't have a copy of The Coming of the Comforter by Leroy Froome, you can pick it up on Amazon. It's an amazing volume that deals with the depths of the Holy Spirit's working. And this is what Froome said about the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus was the most marked and influential personality ever in this old world. And the Holy Spirit was to supply the vacated place. No one but a person could take the place of this wondrous person. No mere influence would ever suffice. So you see what, what Froome is saying. He's saying when Jesus was going to leave this world and ascend to heaven, he said to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And Elder Froome makes, a, I think, a very telling point where he says, only a divine person could take the place of Jesus Christ, the divine person. Ellen White settles the argument. She makes it plain. She confirms what Scripture says in the book Testimonies to Ministers. She says, read this with me, for, for, read this first phrase with me up to the word trio. You ready to read? There are what? Three living persons of the heavenly trio. I pause there. That one sentence should stop the mouth of every person who is trying simply to say that the Holy Spirit is an influence or a force. Notice it's clear. There are three living persons of the heavenly trio. In the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith are baptized, and these powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects in heaven in their efforts to live the new life in Christ. Here is incredibly good news. The Father wants you to be saved. The Son wants you to be saved. And the Holy Spirit wants you to be saved. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working for our salvation. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are cooperating together. And in the divine councils of heaven, in this divine drama of destiny, God himself, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are developing a strategic plan to save you. And the Holy Spirit is a vital part in that plan. Testimonies and ministers, we go on. Evil had been accumulating for centuries and could only be restrained by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the third, what? Person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. Evil accumulating for centuries. Has evil been accumulating for centuries in this generation? Has it, everybody? Can it be restrained? How? By the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy. Does your soul cry out for the fullness of the Spirit in your life? Do you long for the Holy Spirit to come with no modified energy? Do you long for the fullness of this divine power? Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit is really life transformational. When you really begin to grasp who the Holy Spirit is, when you really begin to sense what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, when you really begin to sense that the Holy Spirit wants to take us from Laodicean complacency to a vibrant, new, living experience with Christ. Just before Jesus left, he said in John 14, verse 16 and 17, I pray the Father that he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees, next word, what is it? Him, nor knows what? Him, but you know who? Him, for what? He dwells with you and will be in you. Notice once again, third person. If Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead, I don't want to argue with Jesus, do you? I don't think that's very wise, do you? <laughs> if Jesus makes that declaration, the first and second person of the Godhead, the Father and the Son, take up residence in our hearts through the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not merely intellectual assent to a creedal statement of doctrine. But Christianity is rather, in its purest form, entering in to experience with God where the living Christ lives within us through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus longed through his spirit to take residence in your heart and mine. He longs for us to be filled with the divine presence of the living Christ. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to you and me, in John 14, verse 18, I'll not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He comes through his Holy Spirit. We're not cosmic orphans. We're not merely a genetic accident. We're not merely skin-covering bones. But rather, we are children of the living God, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're adopted into the family of God, and Christ takes residence in our hearts through the Spirit. Jesus fills us with his personal presence through his Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke? He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, the Holy, will the, your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? How much more? Day by day, are you on your knees saying, Jesus, fill me and fill me now? Jesus, I don't want to live in the human flesh. I don't want to battle the Christian life alone. I don't want to go face Satan's temptations with my strength because I know that Satan is wiser than I am. He is stronger than I am. He is more powerful than I am. Lord, unless your spirit fills my life, I will continue to fail on the same things again and again. Unless your spirit fills my life, Christianity will be merely a game. Unless your spirit fills my life, I will be powerless in my witness. But if the third person of the Godhead is living within me, Lord, I need to have that. I long for that, Father. Pentecost, Ellen White again, Pentecost, speaking of the disciples, brought them the presence of the Comforter, of whom Christ had said, he shall be in you. And he had further said, it's expedient. That means it's necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. Henceforth through the Spirit, step to Christ, page 74 and 75. Christ was to abide continually in the hearts of his children. This next sentence is amazing. Let's read it together, starting with their union. You ready to read? Their union with him was closer than when he was personally with them. So the union with Christ that we can have 
through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is closer than if Christ was present right here. Because if Christ was present here, he could talk to one person. But through the Holy Spirit, he can be resident in each of our hearts. Review and Herald, November 1882. The work of the Holy Spirit is immeasurably great. Often, we don't realize how great the work of the Holy Spirit is. It is from this source that power and efficiency come for the work of God, the workers for God. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter as the personal presence of Christ to the soul. Oh, Jesus, help me understand that the work of the Spirit is immeasurably great. Help me comprehend more clearly. Help me discern more with a more enlightened mind that you long to pour out your Spirit in ways that we have not yet fully understood. Help me understand that your Spirit is immeasurably great. Now, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? We've seen the person of the Spirit, and we've seen that the Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, but what's the work of the Holy Spirit? What does this precious heavenly gift desire to do with each follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us what's Jesus longing to do through the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. Well, first, the Holy Spirit's our personal helper. Notice what Jesus says in John 14, verse 18. He says, I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Greek word for helper is a very difficult word to translate. Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. If you have the King James Version of the Bible, it says the comforter will not come. It doesn't use helper. Comforter is not a great translation, but more modern translations with helper are not that great. There are some Greek words that are so rich in meaning, they are so pregnant and full of meaning that it's very difficult to limit them to an English word. The word helper in the Greek language is paraclete. Now we get the English word parallel from that. Parallel, if you have two railroad tracks, they're parallel, they run side by side. The word cleat, the last part of the word cleat has to do from a Greek word klesia, which means call. So if I were literally translating paraclete, I would say one called alongside. So the Holy Spirit is the one that is called alongside of us as Christians. He's called alongside of us to encourage us when we're discouraged. He's called alongside of us to strengthen us when we're weak. He's called alongside of us to give us joy when we're filled with sorrow. He's called alongside of us to enlighten our minds when we're struggling with some decision. He's called alongside of us to, to guide us. He's called to the side for the purpose of helping. Now, this word paraclete was used very often in Roman society. In the Gospel according to John, a commentary by Leon Morris, he says this. He talks about the Roman society and the Roman court system. Any friend who would take action to give help in time of legal need might be called a paraclete or advocate. In other words, here's a person who's being tried for some crime. Now, in Roman society, if you're tried for that crime and you uh, are put in prison, they don't give you some plush prison. You go into that prison, you may be cold and shaking. Your paraclete, who's called alongside you, would bring you a blanket. You may not be well fed. The paraclete would be responsible for giving you some food. The paraclete is one who would come be you in court 
and defend you. So the paraclete is one who is by your side defending you, by your side encouraging you, by your side meeting your needs. So when Jesus is using the word about helper or comforter, he, he uses a word that's common in society, one who is always there for you, one who will never forsake you, one who will encourage you, one who will enlighten you, one who will strengthen you, one who will comfort you, one who will never leave you. Praise God. We have a mighty helper, a mighty comforter, a mighty strengthener, a mighty guide. Now, this paraclete in Roman society would become so close, so identified with the prisoner going into the prison that he would come to the point where he was able to feel the prisoner's feelings, think the prisoner's thoughts, understand the prisoner's needs. When Jesus Christ tabernacled in human flesh. He faced every temptation that you will ever face. Somebody says, wait a minute, Jesus was never a heroin addict. He was never an alcoholic. How could he know the withdrawal symptoms of overcoming alcohol or overcoming tobacco? How, how, how could he know that or drugs? When Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, his body cried out physically with greater cravings than any addict today. When somebody says, but wait a minute, Jesus was never married, so how would he ever know the pain of a woman whose husband has left her for somebody else? Because when he hung on the cross, the greater your ability to love, the greater your ability to have pain. When he hung on the cross and the nation he came to save forsook him, when Peter denied him, when the disciples forsook him, he had greater pain than any woman who's ever gone through a divorce. You see, Jesus himself experienced the full gamut of pain physically, mentally, emotionally on the cross. And when he sends the Holy Spirit to be by your side, the Holy Spirit is a witness for Jesus to strengthen you in whatever you're going through in your life. Is it physical pain? Is it emotional pain? Is it the trauma of loss in your life? The Holy Spirit is there. Cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, strengthen me through your spirit. Jesus, encourage me through your spirit. Jesus, you face Satan head on, but you, through your spirit, I know you'll be there. I was holding evangelistic meetings in Los Angeles. Two sessions a night, 1,500 to 2,000 people coming out every night. I'd greet people at the door. We'd have a session at 5 o'clock and a session at 7, 7.30. Between the two sessions, we would get a little soup and gather our staff together and pray for the second session. I was sitting, eating my little soup, my little bowl of soup between two sessions. And one of my staff said, wait a minute, where is so-and-so? He, he, he's been on sound, but I don't see him here. We ran out to the auditorium to tell him, hey, come on in. We saw him lying there on the floor. We called the medics. Finally, they, brought, they came, brought him to the hospital. He had, had a heart attack. We thought that things were going to go well. He seemed to be doing okay under the doctor's care. They were bringing him in for an angioplasty, a, 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 a procedure, not a real complex procedure, but on the operating table, he had a massive heart attack and died. And I will never forget when his wife called me and said, Pastor Mark, can you come? I was on my way to the evangelistic meeting that night, and the hospital was not far from it, and we went over. I came into the operating room. The physicians allowed me as a pastor to come in. And this brother's wife 
and his son were there. He had died about maybe 10 minutes before at most. He was lying on the table. And I came in and put my arm around that woman and that son. We wept together. Our hearts were broken together. And I thought to myself later, we of course prayed. And there's not much you can say when one of your colleagues is lying dead before you. Words are inadequate. All you can do is hold hands and cry together. But you know, I've watched that woman through the years. And I've watched her reinvest her life in children's ministry. And the Holy Spirit, certainly there's pain. Certainly there is hurt. But the Holy Spirit did something so remarkable that he put a new mission in ministry in her life, strengthened her for what she had to go through, and the Holy Spirit came down and comforted her. You know, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, he will give you another what? Comforter. That's one of the functions of this paraclete. He is a comforter that he may abide with you forever. There may be somebody here today that you've left a loved one at home who's been diagnosed with a malignancy and cancer. You may, come, you may be here tonight, a delegate to this session, and you've come without your husband because he is not a Seventh-day Adventist, and there's a hurt in your heart. You may have come here tonight with a, with a pain in your soul because of children that were brought up in Sabbath school but left the church. You may be here tonight with going through financial reverses. The Holy Spirit is here tonight. The Holy Spirit is here to minister to you tonight. He is the one who will strengthen you. He's your comforter. You know, look what that word comfort means. The word come means with. And fortis is strengthen. The Holy Spirit tonight is here in this place to strengthen you. He's here in this place to guide you. He's here in this place to provide help for our daily needs. We have come for a constituency meeting. That is well. The business of the church should be done, and it should be done in a well-organized way, and I thank God for the Carolina Conference and the organization we have seen here. But God has something beyond business to do. That's why your leadership has called for a spiritual convocation, because God wants to minister to your heart and to mine during the time that we're here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, an entire change can be made in your life, in mine. Look what it says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 36. It says, 96. My eyes are not so good with that phone. Christ's Object, if you're 77 and you're not wearing glasses, see, you're going to be thankful to God. All right, Christ's Object Lessons. Is it 96, is it? 96, I see it now. But you told me, that helped me. None are so vile. What does none mean? None is not one, because if one is none, none wouldn't be none, it'd be one, right? So none are what? None is what? None is, is zero, right? None are so what? Vile. None have fallen so low as to be beyond the working of the Holy Spirit's power. In all who submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, a new principle of life is to be implanted. The lost image of God is to be restored in humanity. How is the lost image of God restored in humanity? How does that happen? 
as the Holy Spirit comes into our life and changes us. Now, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our strengthener, but the Holy Spirit is also our teacher because Jesus says, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, John 14, 17. Now, the Spirit of truth is in opposition to the Spirit of lies. John 8, verse 44, Jesus said, you are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and he is the father of lies. So what does the father of lies tell you, and what does the spirit of truth tell you? The father of lies says to you, you're not good enough to be saved. The father of lies says to you, you're an imposter, you're a hypocrite. That's what the father of lies says. What does Jesus say through the Holy Spirit? He says, you're a son and daughter of God, and I'm going to do everything I can to get you home. What does the father of lies say? He says, your sins are too great. You're never going to overcome that temper. You're going to never overcome that selfishness. You're never going to overcome that greed. What does the spirit of truth say? The spirit of truth says, I can do all things through Christ that does what? Strengthens me. So the spirit of truth is the spirit of the Holy Spirit that witnesses to our hearts, that tells us the majesty, the greatness, the power of God that can work and operate in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 13, however, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit guides us into truth about Jesus, his love on the cross, the atonement, justification by faith in Christ, the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he died there, condemned for sins that were not his but that were ours, that he experienced on the cross the second death, the Spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit that leads us to a deeper appreciation of Christ, but it also leads us to a deeper understanding of his love for us, a deeper recognition that he can get us home and get us into heaven. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he'll tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit also is a guide. He reveals to us the truth of the word of God. He leads us. So every time we open the Bible in the morning when you're praying, we're praying, Lord, guide me into your truth. Give me some new insight into your word. Recently, I have prayed through the book of Psalms and uh, using the book of Psalms as subject matter for prayer, reading Psalms and praying about that Psalm. So if I'm reading Psalms 51, for example, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. Urge me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. I begin to read, Lord, do that for me, Lord. This heart needs your cleansing. Might be reading Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear? Lord, today I have a lot of fears. I have fears about assignments I've been given, fears if I can meet deadlines. But you are my refuge and strength. So as we read Scripture, the Holy Spirit takes those passages, guides us into truth, guides us into a deeper understanding. Notice Steps to Christ, page 114. We can attain to an understanding of God's word only through the illumination of the spirit by which the word was given. So the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible desires to guide us into the truth of Scripture as we read the Bible. The same Holy Spirit who revealed the truth to Bible prophets as they wrote the Bible reveals truth to us as we study it. The Spirit is present when we open the Word of God. Notice, how does revival come? 
How will revival come to the church? Revival will not come to the church merely as an emotional phenomenon, but there's something much more, much deeper than that. Now, one cannot separate emotion from faith because we are emotional beings, but emotion never leaves our faith. Emotion, emotion follows. So look, how then are we, when, when and how does revival take place? David says in Psalms 119-107, I am afflicted very much. Revive me according to what? Your word. So as we study the word of God and fill our minds with the word and combining the word with prayer, the Holy Spirit then fills our hearts and our minds and brings revival. Revival throughout scripture is always based on the word of God. One of the things that really concerns me today about where I see Adventism heading is this. In many, many churches today, there are few people that are entering into the depth of Bible study. And I think that we are preparing for the false latter rain and an emotional experience to sweep us off our feet rather than a deep experience being filled with the Spirit and being transformed by the Word. David says, plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to what? To your word. I love this prayer. Oh, Lord, whatever truth you have for me, I desire it. Whatever changes you want to make for my life, I want them. Oh, divine heavenly dove, come and instruct me. Is that your desire tonight? Would you like to say, Lord, whatever truth you have for me, I want it. If there are things about my life that I don't fully understand, change them. If there are attitudes in my mind that are not in harmony with your will, cleanse my thinking. If there are habits in my life, Lord, I give you permission to reveal them to me to convict me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Whatever truth you have for me, Lord, even if it's painful, even if I fail to comprehend how I'm coming across, habits that I have, attitudes that I have, Lord, I want to pray with David, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Whatever changes you want in my life, Lord, if there are changes in health habits, if there are indulgences in my life, Lord, whatever changes you want, that's what I want. Because all I want to do, Jesus, is to please you. All I want to do is have the spirit of Christ living in my heart and life. In this first meeting, let's bow our heads together and ask Jesus to do something miraculous in our lives. Let's ask Jesus during this session to come down by his spirit to empower us, to transform us, to change us. Every great revival in history has been characterized by two prime things. Men and women that have been praying and seeking God, earnestly petitioning for the Holy Spirit, and men and women who saturated their minds with the word of God. 
Well, genuine, authentic revival begins with a prayer experience and is saturated with God's word. Let's pray together. And let's stand together as we pray. Oh, my Father, we've seen tonight that the Holy Spirit is not some vague, impersonal force. We don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit, how the divine third person of the Godhead can be present everywhere at all times and all places. That's beyond our human understanding. We don't fully understand how the Holy Spirit can live within us. But by faith, we accept the teachings of Jesus. You have said in John 14, it's to your advantage that I go away. But if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples sought your face. They opened their hearts. And you moved powerfully by your spirit. We long for Pentecost to come again. We long for the Holy Spirit to be poured out again. And you've told us to come and to seek you and to ask for the Spirit, and you would give it. You've said in Zechariah 10:1, ask for rain in the time of the latter rain. So we're coming tonight asking right now at this place that your Spirit would come and possess us. Father, if there are things in our life that need cleansing, we give you permission to work in our lives, to work powerfully. We give you permission to change us deep within our own hearts. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you so much that you are the paraclete, the one that comes alongside of us, the one that enlightens us and strengthens us and comforts us. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that needs the comfort of the Spirit, touch them right now. Heal the brokenness of hearts. Comfort them. Father, if there's somebody fighting some temptation, strengthen them right now. If there's somebody that needs guidance and enlighten them, give them wisdom and enlighten them. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Spirit, and we praise your name that that gift is ours tonight by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.